y'all. Another week, another episode of Ecolution to land with a splash. But whoa, whoa, whoa. Reverse that. Ecolution won an award. Two weeks back saw the first ever Irish Podcast Awards and we were lucky enough to grace the red carpet. We didn't win gold as that spot went to another great podcast, Book of Leaves. Go on, Cara. Silver went to Philip Beecher Hayes for Hot Mess and we won bronze, all in the climate category. I'm chuffed we were included in the shortlist as it was a welcome chance to hold our heads up and see that we're not on our own in trying to tackle the climate. The more of us working on this, the better. Play the splash again. The waters may be getting colder, but we've just come out of the end of a summer that many of us spent on the beach, or at least close to the water. Personally, I'll hop in at any time I get the chance, because, as an island nation, we really get a lot out of the seas that surround us. I really like the sea, and I love going swimming and uh, paddling, though it can get very cold. I love the sea, because I always go to the sea with my cousins and my mum and my aunt, and we always have such a fun time. We're polluting-ish, because we're throwing too much rubbish away. There's too much fishing, fish, and also whales and mammals. There's too much of it, and the coral reefs that we're destroying is just terrible. I love the sea and our worries about its future are 100% natural and there are concerns shared by lots of adults too. My name is Dolan Griffin and I work with Fair Seas, a coalition of environmental organisations and networks hoping to restore, protect and conserve our marine environment and I'm also the co-coordinator of the Irish Bass and Shark Group. I'm Shabelle Regan, I'm the Education and Outreach Officer with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group and I also work on the Fair Seas campaign. For me, what attracted me to working on our oceans was actually initially rock pooling. And normally people first rock pool when they're kids. Uh, They go and turn over rocks at the coast. They find some crabs, butterfish, blenny, shells, all sorts of lovely stuff. But the first time I rock pooled was actually when I was about 19, 20 years old. I was on a field trip and we were learning about the intertidal plants and animals, about zonation, about some animals are adapted to live at the top of the shore submerged by water only some time of the day. Others are completely different range of plants and animals that live further down the shore, spending a much larger amount of time underwater. And it completely fascinated me. And from then on, I guess I was hooked. I started out rock pooling as well. I'm from a farming background, so I actually didn't grow up near the sea at all. But I loved going to the beach and watching documentaries. And when I was in national school, I dragged my aunt to Cork to go whale watching. And it was a horrible misty day, it was raining, but we had about 10 seconds of seeing a minke whale and I was absolutely hooked. From then on, I researched whales and dolphins in Ireland. Similar to Donal, I studied marine biology then in college. Found the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group 10 or 11 years ago and I'm still here now. So (laughs) I've been working with whales and dolphins since. So how much does our brain trust know about whales? Whales, I know that there are two different types of whales and one of them don't have any teeth. They just have these teeth-like things that look like it. They're called baleen whales. They swim in the water. That's all I know about them. Whales aren't fish. They're mammals and they're sea mammals. Some whales just open their mouths and then swim forward and they get millions and millions of fish in each day. Whales have to eat lots of plankton. Whales eat like millions of them. Dolphins are tooted whales. Orcas have big territories. I believe there's only one group of orca in the whole of Ireland. 
Well, I think they also sometimes travel around. Oh, yes. A whale sang for 21 hours once without stopping. They use echolocation to find other whales, and if they're lost, they can use it. The blue whale is the biggest mammal in the sea on Earth, I'm pretty sure. My favourite fact about whales and dolphins is actually to do with sperm whales. They are amazing carbon sinks and through their poo, they have absolutely massive poos, we call them poo nannies. They are able to sequester carbon in the environment and help us fight climate change, which I just think is amazing. And also, we have sperm whales in Irish waters and they're one of my favourite animals to look at. We are really very lucky here in Ireland. Irish waters are home to some of the most diverse, productive marine ecosystems on the planet. And alongside those ecosystems, of course, and inside those ecosystems are this huge biodiversity of whales, dolphins, sharks. But, you know, that's only the, the headlines. You know, there's a whole host of other marine biodiversity that Ireland supports in abundance. So we're really very lucky to have it here. So there's lots of marine life. And as I said, lots of big marine life, the marine megafauna. And this is because Ireland is perfectly located, you know, in the western edge of, of Europe and on the northeast Atlantic. It benefits from nutrient-rich water upwelling from deeper Atlantic waters. We have the Gulf Stream that brings warmer air to Ireland, making our weather and climate uh, more temperate and less extreme. And together, this makes the waters around Ireland really good for lots of things to grow, especially primary producers, so plankton, which is the very base critical to marine food webs so that everything else can live here as well. Irish waters, coastal and further out as well, support huge amounts of wildlife, these large complex food chains and food webs from, as I mentioned, tiny microscopic plants and animals, right up to the whales and dolphins that, you know, Shabelle works with. And of course, bass and sharks as well that feed directly on the plankton. So it's about our location, about the climate and about the weather and about the, the upwellings. All these things come together to make Ireland just a really good place for stuff to grow and for other stuff to eat. It's those big feeders we're talking about in Ecolation today. And if you want to see some, you're in the right country. No matter where you are on the island of Ireland, if you have patience and you're out in good weather, you are likely to see some kind of cetacean. Now, the species do vary and there definitely are hotspot areas where you can see the large whales in particular. And those areas tend to be Cork, Kerry, around Clare and Donegal, actually, in recent years, and even into Galway Bay as well. But Cork and Kerry are definitely hotspot areas for this large whale um, feeding activity. So we get a lot of fin whales, which are the second largest animal in the world, as well as humpbacks on their migration. And they'll feed around Kerry and Cork as well for quite a lot of the year. But, you know, there's 26 different species of whales and dolphins in Irish waters. We're one of the best places in the world to see them. And so as an island nation, no one is that far away from the coast. And all I really say to see whales and dolphins, even from land, you don't need to be on a boat, is to have good weather, calm, settled, with very little wind and a bit of patience and perseverance. And we say if you watch the water actively and you're looking out for different signs of whales and dolphins for about 90 minutes, you're generally going to see something, no matter where you are on the Irish coastline which is pretty amazing. Yes, you can do what I did and go to Cork and Kerry because I just thought that those were the places that the whales were. But no, actually, you can see them all over the Irish coast.
Often we get our brain trust to help us by answering questions, but sometimes they're willing to be junior reporters. And one reporter headed out onto the ocean waves for us. My name is Alyssa and I'm a junior member of the IWDG, which stands for Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. I'm here today on the Baltimore Pier waiting for the boat to come in. I'm headed off on a whale watching trip with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group to track and spot some whales and dolphins and hopefully some porpoises. Well, I've been researching them basically for over a year now and I'm just very, 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 very excited about the prospect of actually meeting one face to face. I can see the boat coming in now and I'm really excited. I will keep you posted throughout the day and I really hope that we spot some cetaceans. We'll check back in with Alyssa later in the programme. She's on the lookout for cetacean fins, but who knows, there's a big possibility that that fin she spots won't be from a whale or dolphin. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but there are lots of different types of sharks in Ireland, and I think it's absolutely fascinating. I talk about the basking shark quite a lot because I'm involved with the Irish basking shark group, but of sharks specifically, there are over 35 different species, and then we have skates and we have rays as well, which are normally grouped together. We have blue shark, favourite of mine, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, if you've seen them in real life, that's the best place to see them, I would argue. But pictures in that as well. We have poor beagle. They're also the more common cat sharks or dogfish. They're sometimes known as and we are privileged to host such a huge number of bass and sharks each year as well. And the bass and sharks show up on our coast. And if you have the patience and if you get the good weather, the good conditions and the sun is out. You know, the diversity of sharks in Ireland and the sharks that we have spotted here in Irish waters is actually growing as well. In 2019, a smooth hammerhead shark was spotted on our research trip about 100 miles of the southwest coast uh, of Ireland. And it was a Marine Institute survey and they spotted this hammerhead shark unmistakable they got pictures so the hammerhead shark may have been a little bit off who knows but i think it shows ireland and our waters and the northeast atlantic generally is such a productive area it has the really good basis of the food chain and the plankton and everything stems from that so when you get plankton you get smaller fish and bigger fish you know you're going to have top predators trying to feed and sometimes you get them in big numbers together like the bass and shark and sometimes you'll get the solitary migrants like the smooth hammerhead shark but it's absolutely a fascinating place to do shark research and that's why there are so many fascinating shark research projects happening on the island so it's a real hot spot you know and that's not been over exaggerating at all ireland is a real shark hot spot um and uh, as someone who's interested in sharks, it's really exciting. As Donald said, his real passion is for one of the gentle giants of the sea. Bass and shark season in Ireland is typically, in my experience, from the first bit of good weather we have in the April-May period. If the sun is out, if the sea is calm, those same conditions are good for bass and sharks. The latest one has been early October, but normally the number of sightings start to drop significantly around, around the end of August and early September. The reason why that is the time of year that they decide to appear on our coast is the plankton, is what they feed on. And you know that drives every marine or organism there is mostly it will appear because the food that, that it wants to eat is there and it's the same for basking sharks so we have these blooms really productive blooms of plankton especially the calanus copepods so little tiny zooplankton so it's a type of plankton the numbers just swell in around our coast in around late spring early summer and the basking sharks come along they filter swimming pools worth 
of seawater, you know, is the usual comparison every day. And they sieve out the plankton. Sometimes you can see them in the water where they close their big mouth. They have this huge big mouth. They close it and it's almost like they're munching a little bit and you can almost see them swallow and then they open their mouth again and they swim off and continue feeding. So that's why they're here to feed. But because then they're here to feed, other behaviours we have starting to see and discover are also displayed and that's when they get them all together. Maybe they're using the opportunity to communicate and to be social. We have fantastic drone footage just last year from the Irish Whale Dolphin Group actually of lots of sharks swimming in a big circle that could see right down into the water column. You actually seen that this was a big long cylinder of sharks that went down into the water. So who knows exactly what they were doing there, but some scientists would say that it's to do with courtship and that it's about mating and the reproductive aspects of their life. And that is just more onus on us, on the Irish government, on citizens to be more respectful, just how Shabelle was saying there, because interrupting their feeding isn't good because we all need food to survive. Interrupting their courtship and mating behaviours maybe so that they don't end up reproducing that's really really not a good thing to be happening that is something that we would you know absolutely want to discourage we want to provide our seas and coasts to be a safe haven for basket sharks to do everything they want to do in here we're privileged to be able to see this behavior but let's not do anything to interrupt it and do all we can to protect them back off the coast of west cork Alyssa is getting closer to spotting something but not too close Right, we're just heading out here, a fin whale, apparently all week has been spotted here, fin whale. So we're hoping to catch a glimpse of one of these majestic giants. It's gotten quite wavy, and as we stand at the bow of the boat, we're getting quite a lovely salty spray from the sea. So, we just stopped the boat there because I, spot, I spotted some triangular fins, which I mistake for dolphins. But our guide has just said that they were porpoises, so we have just spotted out quite a, a pod of a few porpoises. It's quite fascinating, they're beautiful. However, these aren't the, like the common dolphins, they won't buy wide, they'll stay generally as far away as possible. But it was still a fascinating sight because they can be very hard to see. I'll keep you posted. Porpoises are just like whales and dolphins. They're a cetacean. A cetacean is a mammal that lives in the sea and would typically have a dorsal fin, pectoral fins, and a tail. A dorsal fin is the fin on top and pectoral fins are the fins on the sides. Sharks are not cetaceans because sharks are fish and cetaceans are mammals. How many of you have had a close encounter with a large marine animal? Well, if you are lucky enough to get near, it's incredibly important that you remember that you're a visitor in their territory. If people do see these animals and how to interact with them really is to be respectful. So you have to think of it as any wild animal, especially if you're observing on a boat, let's say. Turn off your engine while you're there as to not disturb them because noise pollution is a big issue for whales. Try not to corral them either. So, you know, you want to give the animals lots of space. And if they approach you while you're not moving, that's fine. But it's only an issue if you get a lot of boats, let's say, circling an animal and corralling them. And then there's no kind of escape for the animal. 
that's kind of a no-no. So when people see these animals, just be respectful, be mindful that they are wild animals, especially if you're swimming with dolphins. Typically, people end up swimming with bottlenose dolphins. And again, it's to be mindful that you're in their environment. And if the animal approaches you, that's okay, but still be a little bit wary. But don't infringe on their space. You know, we, we do get reports sometimes of people trying to jump on the back of dolphins, trying to hold on to their dorsal fins. That could potentially be a very dangerous situation because these are large wild animals and they're very intelligent animals and they're very powerful animals. So if a dolphin didn't like your behavior, they could give you a slap of the tail, which to another dolphin would be just a, oh, go away, you're annoying me. But to a human, that could be a broken rib. We have seen them seek out human interaction. There does need to be a bit of awareness there and caution that they're in control, you're not in control. And when it comes to the basking sharks, we always say try and give, I think it's four meters distance. And again, it's that idea that you don't want to corral them. You don't want to interrupt as well their natural behavior because you can have some of the most magical interactions with animals and observe them from a few meters away and not disturb their natural behavior. Let's say a basking shark was feeding and you've disturbed it by swimming over to it and touching it and it stops feeding. That then is a lot of wasted energy for that shark. While Alyssa was on her trip, she took the opportunity to interview their guide, Cora Coon. What's the most exciting thing to happen to you at sea? I was kayaking one night in phosphorescence in Vancouver Island and a pod of seven killer whales swam under my kayak and out the other end and the phosphorescence and the bioluminescence was sparkling like fairy lights under my kayak and I was praying that one of the killer whale's dorsal fins was not going to hit my kayak. But here in Irish waters and here off West Cork, we are regularly out on boats where minke whales and even humpback whales can swim under our boat. So sometimes we are within feet and meters of whales here in West Cork waters. And sure enough, shortly after, they had a sighting, but this time of a smaller cetacean. We just saw um, a group of, it's a five to 10 of leaping out of the water, common dolphins. Amazing, these dolphins would typically be a grey fin. They can, we didn't see this now, but you can recognise them by yellow um, hourglass patterns on their sides. They're fascinating creatures. I'll keep you updated. We have just spotted another common dolphin group and we saw our mother and calf. They were fighting the bow waves there and they were completely in sync, leaping over the bow waves. You mightn't get out on a boat like Alyssa, but as Shibel says, you can spot a whole lot from the coast. If a family wanted to go out, on our website we actually have a how to do a headland watch. And there's some uh, tips on there and also good locations that are easily accessible to families and to the general public. But what I would say is it's very good if you have binoculars or if you have a spotting scope. Any kind of optics like that will, will really increase your chance of seeing something. But really it depends on the visibility and the weather conditions. So if you've got nice calm weather, your naked eye will pick up different disturbances on the water as well. Or seabirds are often a great indication that there might be whales and dolphins around. Especially if you get to see those diving gannets 
from a height or circling sheer waters, that's always a really good indication that there's fish. And where there's fish, there's likely going to be a top predator like whales and dolphins, or even tuna or sharks pushing the fish up to the surface. In our first episode with Fair Seas, Sarah Haggerty spoke about marine protected areas. Our government has pledged to protect 30% of the seas off our coast by 2030, but the spaces have yet to be defined, and Nisha of our brain trust is pretty frustrated. He'd like to see our ocean dwellers better minded. First, we could stop fishing whales completely. I mean, why would you fish a whale? That's just mean. And stop fishing as much. If you fish creatures that are tasty, not poisonous, and that are like really large population, that's good. But if we're just taking massive amounts of fish from every population of fish, it's not going to turn out well. Some places we're not allowed to fish, but that would be very good if we could have more of those and people actually listen to the rules. Ireland has a long history of fishing, one that has changed much in its time with increased mechanisation. And at one point, basing sharks were a prize catch. Historically, Ireland has played a role in the decline of bass and shark through its fisheries. So Ireland used to have a really big fishery for bass and sharks operating out of Ackle on the west coast, but also Donegal and more northerly, where we would have targeted bass and sharks and fished them thousands and thousands over decades, actually, primarily for the, the oil in their livers, the liver oil. And this was really valuable at the time. It was used for all sorts of things, most notably for lighting street lamps in London, but also the meat at the time, the skin was used. So altogether, it was a really lucrative business. Eventually, that stopped. It's illegal now to target bass and sharks in Irish waters, and it's illegal if you do catch them by mistake. It's illegal to land them. The bycatch can still be an issue, but in this part of the world, most parts of the world now, we don't target bass and sharks, but it's the harassment, it's the disturbance issues that can be is a major issue. And actually, that's why the Irish Bass and Shark Group now have a campaign to try and get legal protection for bass and sharks in Irish waters to protect them from that disturbance, interference and harassment. Because it's not officially illegal at the moment. We have our own code of conduct, but it's not statutory, it's not legally. So we want to see that protection for bass and sharks in Ireland, and that would be another way to protect them while they're in our care. When we think of sea creatures, we imagine them in large groups, schools or pods, but it's important to be able to track individuals, to allow marine biologists like Donald and Shibel to follow them. A lot of animals, and even whales and dolphins, have unique markings that are almost similar to a human fingerprint. So when we talk about individuals and not just kind of species, we know that it is actually the same individual based on these unique markings. And by taking photographs of them, we can match them up to different locations at different times. So they're kind of like natural tags. Why might a tag like that be important? Well. When you identify an animal, it's a lot easier to spot changes in their behaviour and in their movements. It was a very hot summer here and across Europe. For many, the idea of a heatwave in Ireland is really exciting. More sun, more time outdoors, greater potential for ice cream. But you all know that while that might be the case, global temperature rise is the biggest driver of climate change. And this warming affects our oceans and the creatures that live in them too. The smooth hammerhead shark could be an example of that. It's very hard to tease out individual stories or the reasoning behind changes in distribution or whether it's patterns or where it's a one-off. 
But speaking more broadly, one of the big worries for the marine environment is climate change, warming our seas, basically. And we know that the temperature of our oceans is rising, and that is a problem because if lots of species, marine plants, animals and oceans start to move their distributions to where they're found on the global map to get into their own uh, temperature range that they prefer. So it used to be that if animal here was at a latitude here of Ireland, it's getting warmer, then they'll start to move towards the poles, the North Pole here, where it's a bit cooler. It's the same happens in the Southern Hemisphere. You've got the poleward migration of, of animals to find their optimum temperature range. And if this happens at the global scale, and then even the plants and animals that are at the equator, where it's maybe it's hottest, they actually start to move away from the equator as well because they're finding it too hot. So the scale of the change of distributions in so many animals can be quite a substantial change to the ecosystems, to the food webs that are so important, the food chains that I mentioned before. It really disrupts and unbalances these ecosystems. And really, we don't know exactly the end result, but we know that it's upsetting to the marine ecosystems. It's a very fine balance that we need to have healthy plants, animals, ecosystems and processes. And all these processes humans rely on, you know, for their own survival as well. So it is a real worry. And of course, there are the direct impacts as well. More direct impacts on species such as corals is the most well-known one about temperature rises and how it can bleach the corals, the tiny algae that live inside corals that help them feed and, and live uh, day. And, you know, these reefs of corals that are so productive and support not just corals, but lots of other marine biodiversity in life end up dying as well. A good example where we can see quite visibly climate change having an impact on the distribution of dolphins is with common dolphins. Common dolphins are very abundant in Irish waters. Their population is doing quite well, which is good. They're a very pretty dolphin. They're medium sized. But 10, 15 years ago, so they would have lived, you know, not in our coastal waters. They would have been a little bit further offshore in quite deep water. And in the last number of years, we're seeing this movement of common dolphins closer inshore. And they are following their prey distribution, which are moving because of changes in temperature and changes in algal blooms. The fish are following the plankton that Donald was talking about, and the dolphins are following the fish. And that in itself has some repercussions as well for individuals because we do see quite a lot of mass live strandings of common dolphins in the last number of years. And that's because they, they tend to get caught out especially in sandy bays and areas. They get caught out on the tides because they're not used to it and they can't navigate those areas as well as they could in deeper open water. So it's a real worry on lots of different fronts. It's hard to tease out, but we know at a global scale it is something that we need to be worried about. And it's just another reason why we need to take climate action and addressing climate change seriously. Huge thanks to Donald of the Irish Basking Shark Group and Shebel of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. To find out more about the work they do, simply search online. Plus, our brave junior IWDG member, Alyssa, who took to the high seas of Cork to bring us her report. And of course, the Brain Trust members. Whether you're spotting them from the coast or floating quietly closer to them, the majesty offered by the giants of our oceans is pretty breathtaking. Habitat loss and destruction is something we can spot on land every time we see a tree cut down or a wetland drained. 
but the suffering of our oceans is altogether less visible. Safeguarding those habitats underwater has never been more important. Do you think we should have greater marine protected areas? I think marine protected areas are absolutely critical for the future of the seas and not just the seas because we depend on the seas, we depend on the seas for our air, we depend on the seas for our food, for everything. So marine protected areas will happen if we all row in the same direction and pull together, we'll make them happen and it'll be for the benefit of everybody, not just coastal communities. If the Irish government were to heed Fair Seas advice and designate the 30% marine protected areas or even the, the 16 areas that we proposed in revitalizing our seas. It's hard to give an accurate timeline. You know, we can't say in two years we will see this benefit and in five years X, Y and Z and in 10 years everything's going to be magical. But we do know that anywhere else in the world where marine protected areas have been effectively implemented and managed the benefits are not only just to biodiversity in the ecosystem, but also to those local communities in the area, which is what Fair Seas wants. Could be two years, could be five years, could be 20 years, but the positive impacts are kind of guaranteed. What would it mean to the flora and fauna in our waters if we protected 30% of our oceans? It will, we hope, enable them recover because a lot of them are quite damaged and it'll help them thrive. And again, that benefits not just the whales and the dolphins and the marine creatures, it benefits our species too. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Cochran with edit assistance from Eve O'Neill. And it's presented by me, Evie Kenny. This is our...